The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, two, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, It is going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Some years ago, I was on vacation with my family uh, in one of our favorite places we've returned to again and again, uh, the Smoky Mountains, Gatlinburg area, and uh, uh, it's a beautiful place. It's actually where Corey and I had our honeymoon, and uh, like I said, we've gone back many times, but the last time we were there, uh, we were struck by some of the changes that had been made, uh, particularly in Gatlinburg itself. Uh, because of uh, a fire, a devastating fire that had gone right through uh, the heart of Gatlinburg uh, and burned down many buildings. And so those buildings were rebuilt uh, and looked look different. Uh, but, uh, you know, even the landscape, the trees uh, were uh, all burned up. And so there were new trees in place. And uh, at the top of one of the mountains there where they had experienced so so much of this devastation, uh, they actually had this little trail, walking trail, that had photos and tribute to the firefighters who had uh, come to uh, fight those fires and uh, um, uh, also talked about those changes, the ecological changes. And... uh, As devastating as the fire was, these plaques emphasized also that there were some good things that came out of that devastation. Uh, In fact, uh, that there was new life, that there are particular uh, uh, insects uh, that uh, are able to uh, come and to to do their insect activity uh, only in time of a fire. And they will fly like 50 miles to, to get to a place where uh, they're able to do this. There, uh, you know, you've probably heard before about different pine cones that only re- release their pine seeds when, uh, when there is a fire that in, with that intensity brings that. And we know that the fire has this kind of dual nature, right? Utterly devastating. If you've ever experienced a house fire or if you were part of this congregation when 
had the fire out in the parish house, right? It is devastating. Uh, and if you lose all your belongings to that, it, uh, it is, uh, it's crushing. And yet it's interesting when you talk to people who have lost everything in a fire, um, you know, presuming that they themselves are all out, they will, uh, typically it's a uniform response that they'll say it, it put life into perspective for them. You know, we've heard in the Gospels in recent weeks how Jesus has told us not to build our life around the things that we can hold on to in our possessions. Uh, nothing like a devastating fire or in some cases flood or storm, tornado, to put life into perspective in those ways, to make you realize, oh, that's right, life isn't about such things. And of course, certain precious metals that uh, operate uh, uh, some of our technology or decorate uh, our fingers uh, and things only are made uh, usable uh, or, uh, or made beautiful through the process of fire. So fire, while always destructive, can also bring about good change. In our words this morning from Holy Scripture, we heard from Jeremiah this uh, reminder from the Lord, is not my word like fire? Also, like a hammer that breaks a rock into pieces. God's word is destructive. It has the power to consume and to destroy. And therefore, we are rightfully fearful. We sinners, rightfully fearful to gather and to lash ourselves to the pews to hear God's word spoken to us. For it means nothing less than the death of the sinner in us. That is God's aim. And so it is that Jesus says, I came to bring fire to the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. These are kind of surprising words from Jesus, surprising to uh, us who so often we kind of think of Jesus as, you know, maybe we prefer to think about Jesus at Christmas time, you know, the little cute baby. And, uh, you know, but even in those stories of uh, of Jesus' birth, the circumstances you see that uh, it was not all peaceful, right? The shepherds on the hillside were terrified. The inhabitants of Bethlehem experienced the wrath of Herod who came to destroy Jesus, destroyed them instead. We think of Jesus as tender, meek, and mild, and there are proper ways of understanding Jesus in that way. I don't know that we could really get away with calling Jesus nice. Not in the sense that we often think of nice. That is kind of 
zipping the mouth shut and not speaking truth when it needs to be spoken. You know, truth spoken in love, of course, but truth spoken. Not withholding it lest you possibly offend somebody. Jesus had no problem offending people. When it came to speaking the truth, he was going to speak it. When it came to speaking up for those who were oppressed, he, was, he didn't care if he was going to offend those who were the oppressors. He spoke the word in truth, faithfully. And he did it so that that fire, that consuming fire of his word would burn through the hearts of the sinners and cause them to repent, to die to self, to turn about from their wicked ways. That they, yes, even they, might be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath that is to come. A wrath that involves fire. You can go to 2 Peter chapter 3, and I'm not going to read it again for you this morning, but uh, um, uh, if you go to 2 Peter chapter 3 and, and read the first portion of that chapter, you will hear about the coming destruction. And, you know, we all remember the story of Noah and the flood and how God... Uh, set his bow in the sky and says, never again will I destroy the earth by a flood. That by a flood piece is key <laughs> because Second Peter and, and other places in scripture make it clear that this world will dissolve and this time by fire. Now, whether that is a literal fire or if it is just a symbolic way of talking about Judgment on sin, judgment on sinners, I guess it doesn't at the end of the day make a whole lot of difference because it's going to be a judgment, it's going to be a destruction one way or another. And Jesus speaks this word now to those who hear him in the time 2,000 years ago and to you this morning, this hard word to hear so that we might be driven to despair of any hope that might reside within us, to repent of our ways and to trust in him. Jesus continues, I have a baptism with which to be baptized and what stress I am under until it is completed. The baptism that Jesus is talking about here is not his washing of water in the River Jordan. That has already happened uh, in, in Jesus' life. He was baptized in the River Jordan by, by John the Baptist. No, Jesus isn't looking to an event uh, in his past, but he is looking forward. His face is set like flint, Eyes centered on Jerusalem and what he will undergo there. Suffering and death on the cross. This is his baptism. This is the event that he says that 
He is under stress until it's completed. He is torn up inside of two minds. He wants it to be done and over with. And he also knows it's going to be great agony. So that even when he gets to Jerusalem, in that night in which he was betrayed, prays to the Father, Father, if possible, remove this cup from me. This cup of suffering, this cross. But then he says, yet not my will, but your will. I know this is the way. And so, as it is recorded in Hebrews, Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame. What is the possible joy that Jesus could have seen in undergoing this baptism, this cross, this suffering, this shame? The joy of his resurrection on the third day, yes. Vindication, victory over sin, death, and the devil, yes. Reigning at God's right hand, yes. Redeeming from the power of sin, death, and the devil, the children of God. Yes. That is Jesus' joy. For the sake of you, Jesus underwent the suffering on the cross, endured it, persevered through that unimaginable pain for you. And it brought him joy to do so. You, while you were yet sinners, not because you were so good that he thought, well, I might as well do it for him. (laughs) No, he did it before you had any desire to turn to him. He died for you so that you would know beyond any shadow of a doubt that this is his work, not yours, that you might rejoice in him and receive it for what it is, sheer gift, unsurpassing glory, that we too might be where he is, that our sin would be forgiven. Jesus on the cross bore the sins of the world. He took your sin, your shame, and bore in his body the punishment that was due you, me. That you and I might be made clean and whole. In our own baptism, he has delivered the gifts that he won on the cross 
to you personally, attached it to your very name, that you might always return to it and know that you are a child of God and that this was done by Jesus and his work and that he had joy in doing it so that whenever you might question it or doubt it, you may return to it again and again and know that God loves you and that you are his child bought with the precious blood of Jesus. The wrath that was due you, unrighteous sinner, he took upon himself so that now you are called righteous Saint. This is the joy of baptism. This is the hope that we have that sustains us. So that when we go through life, even when we suffer as have all the saints, and of course the pioneer and perfecter of all, Jesus himself, suffered, we also will suffer. He does not exempt us from that merely because we are children of God. In fact, he says you can even expect more. But you will be saved. Saved from that final judgment. What joy this is. What hope this brings us. So that we can know that whatever suffering we undergo here, it is merely a participation in the suffering that Christ bore on the cross, that he has done this and accomplished it all for us, and that one day all our pain will cease, and death itself will be swallowed up, and that we need not fear any of it. Knowing that God has given us this promise sustains us through these momentary afflictions, which is what any suffering in this life becomes. Yesterday, we buried a saint in this church, Nancy, who for six years had undergone suffering at the hand of cancer. And yet her faithful witness through it all was not concerned for herself or complaint about her pain, great though it was, but concern for others. She persevered through it all with that wonderful smile that Nancy had. Persevered through it all knowing that she was a child of God. Persevered through it all knowing that this cancer was not some punishment from God for something she had done, but that by her suffering... In the midst of her suffering, Jesus was with her. And she could endure for the sake of the joy that was set before her. The hope that had been planted in her from the moment of her baptism that she was a child of God and that nothing and no one could change that for Jesus held on to her and grasped her in the palm of his hand and nothing and no one was going to take her out of that. Now folks, Nancy now rests in that hope, that promise of baptism. And that is at the end of the day, all that you and I can hope for. 
And oh, what a hope. Oh, what a joy. That Jesus, our Savior, has done this for us. For you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.